my name is Alex Barthet. I'm a board certified construction attorney in Florida. And today we're going to talk about common lien and release traps and how to avoid them. So what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about seven lien law traps. We'll also talk about three release traps that you need to be aware of. So let's get started. So let's explain, let's start by explaining what the lien law rules are so that you understand why the traps are in fact traps. So in order to preserve your lien rights, this first step you need to take is you need to within 45 days, no later than 45 days from your first work, you need to serve a copy of the notice to owner uh, on the owner. If you are a sub, sub subcontractor or supplier or a sub or sub subcontractor. So what that means is you need to have this document served and in the hands of the owner and contractor no later than the 45th day. It does not apply, meaning you don't have to serve a notice to owner if you are in direct contract with the owner. It doesn't hurt. It's a great collection tool to send notice to owners, even if you have a direct contract with the owner, but it's not legally required. <clears throat> Step two, within 90 days of your last work, you must record a claim of lien. Uh, you can record a claim of lien while you are on the job. Sometimes we have clients that want to record a lien while they're still working in order to add some pressure if they have some outstanding balances, but they continue to work on the project. So don't think you have to finish in order to record a lien. You could record a lien while you are working on a job. Step three, within 15 days of the lien being recorded, you need to serve it on all interested parties. If you use Sunray Construction Solutions to do your notices, then they will take care of the research for the notice to owner, uh, they will do all the research for the claim of lien and make sure that everyone that needs to get a copy does in fact get a copy. Step four, those who have a direct contract with the owner need to serve, not record, serve a contractor's final affidavit at least five days before you file a lawsuit to foreclose on the lien. We recommend doing it at the time that you record your claim of lien, no later than five days from when you file suit to foreclose on your lien. And then the last step is no later than one year from the recording date of the claim of lien, you must file a civil lawsuit in court to foreclose on the lien. If you do not do it by that time, your lien will expire. There is no such thing as re-recording the lien or extending the lien deadline. The only way to extend the lien and keep it alive is if you file this civil action in court. So these are the five steps to secure your lien rights. Let's start going into the lien law traps. Um, but before we do, if you would like to get a handy desk tool for free that will show you what to file and when to file it, depending on the type of project you're on and what role you serve, you can go to leanomatic.com and we will send this free leanomatic calculator to you. It's uh, uh, great to use in case you need to verify you know do i need to send a notice here if uh if i'm a sub subcontractor it answers all of those questions you can keep it on your desk go to leanomatic.com okay trap number one service of the notice to owner is the date it is received not sent so for example if you put your notice to owner in the mail and it has to go certify on day 41 from your date of first work 
it may not be received by the 45th day. What if uh, it gets held up in the post office um, or something goes wrong, it falls off the truck and it's not received by the 45th day? That notice to owner is no good. Now, there is a workaround, and that is if you serve your notice to owner by the 40th, 40, 40th day, and have it confirmed as being hand delivered to the post office, then no matter what, it is deemed properly served, even if it never gets to the owner. Um, so if you use Sunray, then what they do is they take your notice, they create a daily manifest of all the notices that they're generating. They go to the post office and have it stamped every day. Um, and if that's done by the 40th day, then if the post office truck blows up with your notice and it never gets to the owner, it's still considered good service because you followed the 40 day rule. So keep in mind about that with respect to the notice to owner when it has to be received, not necessarily sent. Trap number two, the general contractor needs to receive the notice to owner. Most people don't know this, but the notice to owner needs to go not just to the owner, but to the general contractor. This rule will invalidate your lien if you are a sub subcontractor or a supplier to the subcontractor. So if you are a sub sub or a supplier to a subcontractor, then your notice to owner needs to go not only to the owner, but it must be served on the general contractor. If you don't properly serve the notice to owner on the contractor um, as well as the owner, so if I'm the material supplier to the electrician and I only serve my notice to owner on the owner, I do not have lien rights. Um, the person, the people that are supposed to get a copy of the notice to owner are listed in the notice of commencement. And those are all the people that need to receive a copy. The general contractor is one of those parties listed in the notice of commencement. So remember, if you don't serve the cop of uh, the general contractor with the notice, you have no lien rights. But again, if you use Sunray, they will go ahead and take care of uh, making sure that everyone that needs to get the notice receives the notice. Trap number three, last work does not include repair, punch list, or warranty work. So the last date of work that starts the 90-day countdown must be approved work, labor, or delivery of materials under an original contract or upon uh, an approved change order. So if you go back and repair something or you go back and do warranty work, that does not reset the 90-day countdown. So let's take an example. Let's say you are a window contractor and you're owed $10,000. Your last date that you actually do real work on the job is March 1st, but it turns out that one of your windows is defective and the owner refuses to pay you your $10,000 until you fix it. Well, by the time you order the replacement window and it gets delivered, it's now July 1st or delivered and installed, it's now July 1st. Well. From a lien rights perspective, your last day of work is March 1st. It's not July 1st. Um, and 90 days after March 1st is May 30th, meaning if you waited till you fixed the window to record your lien, you will have lost your lien rights. So remember when your last work is and what it doesn't include. It does not include repairs, punch list, or warranty work. 
Trap number four, last work does not include the mere act of passing an inspection. So it is the last day you did real work under your base contract or approved change orders or delivery of materials. Um, the date that you actually pass an inspection, a TCO or a CO or a CC, does not extend the time to record your lien. So let's take an example again. Let's say the last day you did real work on the job site was March 1st. You called for an inspection and the inspector came on March 5th and passed you. Now on March 5th, you showed up and you just stood there as the inspector looked around, you answered a few questions, they passed the inspection. For purposes of your lien rights, your last date of work and when the 90 day starts to be to uh, commence is March 1st, not March 5th. Trap number five, last work does not include, has nothing to do with the day you send your bills. Again, I sound like a broken record, I know. The last date of work is the day you do real base contract or approved change order work or the delivery uh, of materials pursuant to the contract or an approved change order. The mere act of sending an invoice or a payment application does not extend the time to record a lien. Sometimes clients that may have us record their or prepare their lien, they say, well, the, I sent my invoice on, you know, February 7th. Um, I said, well, that's great, but that doesn't matter for the lien law. I need to know when you were on the job actually doing work. So let's take another example. If you did your last work on March 21st, but you didn't send your bill until April 1st, the day that matters for lien law, uh, 90 days, is March 21st, not the April 1st date you sent the lien, uh, sent your bill. Trap number six, 90 days is not three months. I've told you you have 90 days to record your claim of lien. Well, 90 days is not three months. Um, some months have more than 30 days. Some months have fewer than 30 days. So let's take an example. Three months from June 15th is September 15th, but 90 days from June 15th is September 13th. So the way you count 90 days is day one of my 90 days is the day after you actually did work. So today I show up, I finish all the drywall in the, in the unit. That's my last day of work is, is today. Tomorrow is day one. I keep counting every day and weekends and legal holidays through and including the 90 days. And that's the 90 days. That's how we're That's how you calculate when the 90 days for your lien rights uh, expires. We have another tool for you also for free. It's called the CalcuLean. It's a handy desk tool as well that will calculate when your 45 days for your notice to owner and your 90 days for your claim of lien or notice of non-payment is due so you no longer have to count on your fingers you can go to calculine.com and we'll send one to you for free okay lien law trap number seven don't just count the days you need to look at a calendar to account for weekends and legal holidays let me explain what i mean for both the notice to owner which is 45 days and the lien which is 90 days if the last day falls on a weekend or legal holiday, it rolls to the next business day. The reason is that if the 90th day is Sunday, I can't go to the clerk's office and record my lien. 
on the 90th day. I, I can only do it on the next day, uh, which would be the Monday. So this may give you more time to serve your notice to owner or record your claim of lien. So let's take an example. If your 90th day to record a lien is Saturday, it then rolls to the Sunday and then it rolls to the Monday. And if Monday, the courts are closed so you cannot record your claim of lien, it rolls to the next day, that's Tuesday. This means you could have as much as 93 days to record your claim of lien. Okay, let's talk about some release traps, uh, some traps we see clients make with respect to uh, exchanging releases for checks. So trap number eight, email copies of releases are valid even if the original is never sent. So some people believe that if I sign a release, I notarize it, I have the blue ink copy in my possession, and I send that copy to somebody else, that because I'm holding the original, the copy they have is unenforceable um, or has no force and effect. That is not true. If you send someone a copy of a release, then you are obligated by the terms of that release. Um, so if you send someone, for example, a $10 unconditional release, meaning it has no condition of payment, and you never get the check, you may have given up your lien rights. So you should only provide expressly conditional releases before you actually get the funds. So the Sunray system has conditional releases. So if you want to use their releases in the system, you would want to pick a conditional release. The conditional release can be written many ways, but here is an example of the, the language that would make a release conditioned. Notwithstanding anything to the contrary, this waiver and release is condition, conditioned upon and not effective until the undersigned receives paid funds of blank. So if you're expecting a $10,000 check, that's what you're gonna put in the blank. You can handwrite this in, you can type it in, it needs to be in the release if you are not, you know, if, if you are exchanging a release without actually getting the funds. Now, you should also be aware that this is something you should do when you exchange a release for a check at the moment. Let's say you go to the owner's or contractor's office and you give them a release and they give you a check. Well, what happens if that check bounces? Um, so you want to make the release conditioned on you actually receiving the funds. And I would suggest to you that if you have any doubt that the funds are good when they give you a check, you need to make that release condition, conditional as well. We have a tool to make your life easier to the extent you have to sign paper releases. If you go to makemeconditionalstamp.com, we have a stamp with that exact language that I read to you. So you can keep it on your desk when you have to sign a release, you can stamp the release and it will put that conditional language on, you write in the amount of the check, and off you go. You have now made that release conditional. You can go and get one for free at makemeconditionalstamp.com. Okay, release trap number nine. Releases that are only titled as conditional may not be. So you need to read the entire release. We see many releases that the title of the release is conditional partial release of lien. But when you read the release, it is not conditional. There is no conditional language in the release. 
the title by itself does not make a release conditional. It has to have conditional language in the body of the release. So you need to add the language I told you, you need to use the stamp, you need to do something more to make the release conditional other than merely relying on the title. Okay, trap number 10, watch out for $10 releases. If you are the party that is receiving the money and giving a release, I recommend that you strike out the $10 and you write in the amount that you are actually expecting to receive. So let me give you an example. If you are giving someone, you're expecting a, a $10,000 check and you're gonna give someone a release and, they, and the release is a $10 release, what happens if you go pick up the check and it's only $8,000? So remember that the release says $10. It doesn't say 10,000 or anything else. Unfortunately, under the law, $10 means that you received some value of, of, of any amount. Could be $10, could be $100, could be $8,000 or $10,000. Well, $8,000 is some value. So barring some other language in the release, if you show up and give someone a $10 uh, release, and they give you an $8,000 check instead of a $10,000 check, you have probably given up your rights to that $2,000. So if you are getting a check and giving a release, you should state the amount that you are expecting on that release. So in my example, you should cross out the $10 and write in $10,000. What this does is if you only get 8,000, you can argue later, well, I gave this release for 10, they only gave me eight. Belt and suspenders would say, go one step further and add the conditional language in the release. So the conditional language we talked about a few points ago, put that in the release as well. So there's no doubt that this release that you're giving is conditional, conditioned on you getting $10,000. Now, for those of you that are listening to this and you, are, you also uh, give checks and get releases, so maybe I'm a GC and I'm paying my subs or I'm a subcontractor and I'm paying my sub-subs, it's great if you can get your, the people that you're giving the money to and getting a release, if you can have those releases say $10. So when you are giving a check and getting a release, you'd like those releases to say $10. But also keep in mind uh, what we talked about uh, when it's in reverse. So with that, we are done with the 10 traps